Leonard Cohen suggested, there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. This viral crack gives us a chance to create something new and better. So let's talk about back to different and let the light in. I am sitting 18 inches from a virtual human being, Chris Lieber. <clears throat> we met, he just waved. Uh, we, we met in the usual way. Um, <clears throat> I read something he wrote on LinkedIn and it struck a chord and I wrote back and said, let's talk. And sure enough, we have been. Um, he has a guitar in the background of his delightful little sort of cabin, which is his office, which I envy greatly. Uh, <clears throat> so maybe someday I will come over there, knock him over the head, and I will live in his little house. So I want to ask you, Chris, to bring us up to date. What's your story, man? How did you get here? Hey. Well, uh, first of all, well, welcome to my little um, my little office, my my log cabin, or as my um, family call it, the shed. Um, it's actually sat within a, a little woodland part at the bottom of the garden, which, uh, which I love. So this is my kind of a sanctuary and, and think place. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's an interesting time for all kinds of reasons. And, you know, if, if I had a couple of days, you know, it would be, be wonderful to unpack everything. But, uh, but I guess almost like start where I am now, uh, which is in quite a reflective mood in terms of, therefore, what for the next few years. Um, obviously, you can see that I'm not uh, 21. And uh, so my time ahead is, is shorter than uh, my time past and really begin to think through what is all of the, of the many different eclectic experiences I've had? Uh, what's that been about? Where can I apply and make a difference in, in, in ways which are, are really helpful? So you, you're catching me at, at a time of, of you know, when the world is in, in huge and enormous and unprecedented change. Also thinking, you know, how do I actually spend my time and where do I spend it and who do I spend it with? So there's some kind of bigger, bigger questions. So um, uh, what I currently do is most of my work is, is around uh, helping individuals and particularly organizations go through uh, change. And most are, are quite um, unsuccessful at really leveraging the full opportunity uh, around that for all kinds of reasons. It always, always makes me smile that uh, when we talk about change management, uh, when I first started working with uh, what's now Hewlett-Packard 30 years ago, the success rate worldwide of, of change initiatives was uh, 20%. 30 years on, it's still 20%. And yet we invest kind of, I think it's about 1.3 billion pounds annually in this, uh, in this kind of thing called change management so we don't seem to be getting much return on that which is uh, another story but so most of my work is is actually at, at the front end of of that um so working amongst the politics in the real world and trying to um i guess breathe life into stuff where you can um to patch things where they need to patch and what i love to do is actually get alongside people to to work in the preparation of and people often say to me so you know what, what qualifies you to do that? What's, what's the story? And, and that's, that's always an interesting one because I've had an eclectic um, background. Um, uh, I guess my, my early childhood was, um, was absolutely idyllic in many ways. Uh, my, my father was a Royal Marine. Um, I, I put the Royal in because it's not just a Marine. Um, you know, it's kind of, that's a Brit thing. Uh, but I guess one of the equivalent would be your, your Green Beret. That's significant because uh, I love my dad a lot and taught me a lot, taught me to be resilient and to, uh, uh, I guess, always try and look for a, a way through. But my father was away um, in those days, and we're talking probably 50s, 60s, uh, for 18 months, two, two years at a time, so I didn't see him much of the time. So my, my poor mother had, um, had this uh, little kid that was growing up, uh, almost, almost feral, I've got to say, but I lived on the sea. Um, so for me, my days from the age of probably five, six, I would just go out of the house and I would be out on the water and in boats. I'd kind of patched up because obviously I didn't have any money. Doing all kinds of adventures. And I learned never to tell my mother actually what I'd been doing. I did turn up at meal times, which was great. But, but what I did that early time did was give me a sense of um, being inquisitive, being curious, um, pushing the boundaries, adventure, uh, a deep love of the sea, deep love for natural things. Um, uh, love bird watching, love fishing, um, 
I just loved hanging out in in the open air. And for me, kind of, you know, my my, my special places were always by the sea, um, and, uh, and that's still true today. And so I grew up with a, a deep love of the sea. And I guess forwarding a little bit uh, forward, um, so what that meant, uh, being feral, is I wasn't academically uh, inclined, I think is the polite way of, of saying it. Uh, for me, school was just an interruption. So at 16, I, I kind of wanted to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And for me, it was just beyond sea. So I literally pitched up um, on the uh, the key side of my, my local uh, commercial dock, uh, went up to somebody who I thought looked like a, a kind of a, a captain or somebody official and said, have you got a job for me, mate? Um, and and it, simple as that. And remarkably, he said yes. And that started a, a period of my life which was incredibly important and uh and I guess very shaping. So uh, I was taken on by a, a man called Bob Hale. Bob was um, from a, quite a poor fishing family, but was a master shipwright and built what was to become the largest uh, fleet of independent ships, passenger ferries on the south coast of the UK. <coughs> he was remarkable because his whole life was, was uh, I guess, birthed in the apprenticeship movement. That's how he became um, uh, a master shipwright. So literally on my first day, as the lowest of the low, I was the greenhorn. So my job was to clean things, to empty things, to get rid of all the smelly things. Uh, I, I mean, and, and to work literally the ropes. So literally I was learning the ropes. Um, but on my first day, as the lowest of the low, uh, Bob came and found me. And uh, when we'd finished our, our passenger uh, runs for the day, he said, look, we're just going to go out. Come stand by me by the side of the uh, the ship's uh, ship's wheel. So we, I was on the bridge next to this guy I hardly knew. I mean, uh, he terrified me because he was the skipper. And he said to me a question which has been a lifelong question. He said, "What do you see, Chris?" And I mean, you know, I was looking at on on from the bridge, and you know, hey, <laughs> I was just so excited be be, be standing next to this guy uh, on the on the bridge of this um, this medium sized uh, passenger vessel. And, and the truth was, I saw very little. I mean, I saw clouds and waves and busy ships. And he smiled after I'd, I'd kind of tried to make up what I thought he was asking. And he just smiled. And he said, do you see that, that vessel there? And the she's coming in on a constant bearing. You need to watch out for that because a constant unchanging bearing, particularly when it's uh, on, on this particular side, means you're on a collision course, Chris. So you keep wary. And more besides, he taught me about clouds and weather structures. And, and every day he'd ask me the same question. Um, and where there was a gap in, in my work, I'd stand beside him and he'd tell me about what he saw. And that question was, was, was asked literally every day. Um, sometimes it was uh, out of curiosity. Sometimes it was absolutely out of assessment. He wanted to know uh, what I was seeing because as I progressed, uh, through and I got my mates tickets and, and the rest he wanted to know that actually I was seeing enough and um, and eventually went through the, the, the uh, certification and things and became a, a, a captain in my own right um, which were, I've got to say was an utter blast I loved it uh, for me just being at sea actually shaping stuff was 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 tremendous fun but an interesting thing when I got my master's ticket the very th first thing that Bob said to me was just as I have trained you and coached you um, in terms of what you see, you have got to train all your crew. And he went on and he trained other people. I wasn't, I was an exception. Um, and it was interesting when, uh, uh, sadly, he died a few years ago. All of these captains from around the world, from Antarctic survey vessels, came to his funeral. There's probably six, seven hundred people there who couldn't get in the church. And I, I was asked to um, give the address. And we all told the same story uh, of, of Bob being next to us saying, what do we see? And for me, that's been a lifetime question because I've, as I've worked um, and I've worked in, in education and then I was uh, headhunted to an amazing company called uh, Digital Equipment Company, DEC, American-based, uh, second only to IBM in those days. Also a story of how um, the great can fall very quickly and very fast, but that's <laughs> another story. <coughs> But, um, but in, in that role, um, I love the culture, the can-do culture. I loved actually living by my wits. And, you know, my role was to help the organization shift um, to a solution or enterprise-led uh, business model across the world. 
and it gave me the freedom. So all of those things I'd experienced in my childhood, that question, what do you see? Um, because people always said to me, one of the skills that you, we seem to pick up with you is you notice things that we, we don't notice. And, and for me, that was just going back to that, that, that training I had. It's not mystical. It's not something that people can actually acquire. And it got me to think about how often we don't train our leaders enough to be able to navigate. And the way that I understood, uh, we pitch leaders in untrained to make sense of a multitude of complex things. And, and really, it just needs someone alongside them asking them, you know, what are you seeing um, in this multitude and fast-moving uh, situation that we, we live in? So, so I guess, you know, some of those things um, were absolutely formative. I spent time in Africa. I've got a, I've got a real heart for, um, I guess, working alongside, giving a, a helping hand to those less fortunate and less privileged. So I spent a lot of time in Africa. And I, I learned in cultures which are so different, one of the biggest contributions I, I could ever make was keep my mouth shut and just learn <laughs> Uh, so I learned I learned so much at lots of dinner uh, dinner tables and and out in the bush and, uh, and and talking to people that were so very different um, to to myself culturally um, it, it, obviously uh, so you know I spent time with uh, Baileys who were very very different from the Shona race uh, different language. I spent time with uh, white Africans from a, a, an English descent and white Africans from a, um, a Dutch descent. Um, and that melting pot, which actually confronted what you actually think, because it's not quite as simple. So I was over there in my naive times thinking that, uh, you know, I was going to go and help them. And I think the truth is actually what they they did for me, was, which was to confront the things that I held as uh, truths and gave me a twist and said, look at it from this perspective. Um, and again, a lesson which is which has always stayed with me. So don't spend so much time in Africa now. Um, absolutely love it still for me. But if someone were to say to me, what's what's your relaxing, where, where do you kind of chill out? For me, it would be either at sea or it would be in the middle of the African bush on a, on a copy of uh, uh, some rocks, just looking over a, a, a landscape with huge big skies with probably a cold beer, a little fire and my mate by the side of me. For me, that, that's, 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 that's Chilean. So gives, gives you a little bit for, I could go on and on. There was, there's so many people that have, have input, uh, inputted into my life and told me off and, and um, corrected me and, uh, and got alongside me and encouraged me, you know, I'm, I'm a product of, of their patience. <laughs> There's, there is so much here, you know, this could be like a six hour <coughs> podcast, which is, which is, which is, which is way beyond the boundaries. Several things. Number one is your, your love of salt water. Um, mm -hmm. I have the same thing. I started on small sailboats with my father, probably when I was four, maybe even three, so, and I was a yacht charter captain. It's, uh, it's a different kind of commercial Coast Guard license, but I did it for a living as you did and had many, 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 many adventures doing that. And I also had a mentor. I had an old crusty guy named Tom Allen, who was a, a chain smoking kind of guy. And he would give me advice about sex. You know, and he, would, you know he was like, I'm going to teach you everything I know. And he showed me how to a dock a boat, yeah. no matter the size. And that was really important for my work. But he also taught me something, which is, um, you know, when you said, what do you see? Yeah. We would be, you know, out there in the fog or, you know, and I'd be looking for a marker, looking for a buoy, um, a navigational aid, as, as, they're, as they're called. And he would say, stop looking for it. And I'd say, but I, I need to find it, Tom. And he'd say, you'll find it when you stop looking for it. Yeah. yeah. He said, don't look for anything. Yeah. Just be still yeah. and let your eyes be still. Yeah. And don't look for anything. And I do that. And like five seconds later, it's like, oh, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, so it's that, um, it's that state. Mm. It, it's, it's, it's why I stopped racing boats and still love to sail because when I sail very in, in a moment, I go into that state yeah. of 
I'm like connected. Yeah. All my senses are connected without having to like say, come here, hearing, get to work, you know, and without even realizing, as you know, over time, we, we look at the clouds, we feel the wind, we, we, we hear the sound of the water going by the hull of the boat. We feel the creaking of the, of the steering tackle, you know, all that stuff is just there. And it is, it's an amazing place. And, and when I was teaching sailing, that's where I tried to get people to. Some people couldn't do it because they were, they were working so hard on stuff that they didn't need to pay attention to, but you're right. What do you see? That's very, very powerful. And I haven't been to Africa, but one of my favorite places is New Mexico. That's what's on the screen in back of me, which is high desert, you know, huge sky, a changing landscapes. You know, you drive 20 miles and it's like you're on a, a brand new planet. Yep. And if they still had ocean there, which they had, I think, about 800,000 years ago, uh, I could live there. But um, I need I need ocean. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> you also said almost feral, which I thought would be a great name for band. Yeah. But, um, and you were a teacher. Mm. So you told, you shared a story with me about uh, someone who came up to you and told you the impact you had. Yeah. So I would, I'm going to challenge you to first to share the story. And it's so hard to tell a story the second time. Yeah. It's, it's much harder than the first time, but also how did this, what do you see and sort of almost feral your, your um, tendency to uh, challenge mm-hmm. I mean, every report card I ever got said, does not work up to his capacity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. All, every single time. Because I'm <coughs> going like, well, wait a minute, what about this? And I, I want to go over here. I want to go over here. So as a teacher, I think, though, that's a useful thing. Yeah. So if you'll share that story, which I love, um, about the uh, student in the book, yeah. and then how do you think as, as teachers, as change leaders, because I, when I do change work with organizations, I call it change leadership absolutely. rather than change management. Because totally. it's like, absolutely. Right? It's like sailing for me. Yeah. I mean, you, you can manage your ship or your boat, yeah. but 80, 90% yeah. of what's going on, you have no control over. Yeah. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So I just gave you a lot to do. So you pick and choose where you want to start. <laughs> I was going to say we, we've we've all of that together. Um, <laughs> but, well, let, let's start with the with the change leadership. Absolutely, I totally agree. Part of what I'm trying to do in in terms of my my mission is to shift the conversation to one of leadership. One one things that I see often is people try and manage uh, the the storm, and I tell them you can't manage storms. You face them you manage your responses to them. And that's a leadership proposition. You need great change management, sure. But actually, change management statistically doesn't deliver the, 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 the goods, you know, if you want to be really hard, hard-faced hard about it. Um, so that, 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 that shift to the language of the leadership of change, which obviously starts with yourself, um, is, is, is really important to me. <clears throat> I think the feral bit for me, was uh, and, I, and I, I said that and smiled inwardly at, at the same time, uh, just thinking of the uh, of the of the tough times I actually gave my parents. Um, uh, as I say we, we we had this thing that I never told them what I would do because they it would uh, be too scary for them. So we, we kind of assumed that uh, you know that I would be as long as I arrived back at meal times. But I think on a on, on a serious note, what it, what it, what it was about for me was an inquisitiveness, a curiosity, uh, 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 what was around the corner, um, being prepared to uh, try things out, um, pick stuff up when, when it failed, etc. All, all of those, all of those things. And I guess looking at the world in a particular way. So, so as I was going through school, I wasn't that academic. Um, partly I'm also dyslexic, which I only discovered kind of some years later, which kind of explains a, a lot as well. Um, and that's not an excuse. That's just that's actually that's been a real gift to me. I've got to say. <coughs> so, anyways, I do apologise. I've just had flu over Christmas, so um, it's non-contagious. You won't get through uh, the, the screen. Um, so, at school, I remember, and this this was a funny funny story for me because um, uh, you get to kind of you know fifteen, sixteen, and, and you're asked, "What do you want to do when you kind of grow up?" 
And, and I didn't know. I knew I loved science. I knew I loved natural things. And I wanted to become a biologist, but I didn't really quite understand what all that was about. So I said to one teacher, um, I, want, I want to become a lab technician. I hadn't got a clue what lab technicians, but it sounded, <laughs> it sounded the right answer. And he, and he, t- he turned to me and he said, uh, uh, Lever, um, let me tell you something. You're never going to amount to anything in your life. And that was, that was his moment. Now, for me, um, I, I, you know, I would love to say I, was, I felt crushed. I felt, I just felt friggin' mad. Um, and my response to those situations is always to go, well, let me prove you wrong. Um, and, and what it did was, and I don't know, I'd, I'd love to think he did that on purpose and, and was very clever in that because he knew my psyche and he knew how I would respond. I don't think he did. But, but I want to be generous. Um, but what it did do was actually get me to read, get me to explore literature, get me to listen to different types of music. And what started off was, uh, well, I'm going to prove you wrong, turned into just a, a, a love of learning. And and I found there was this incredible, extraordinary world out there. And I, I was so blessed to have just one or two teachers around me that actually believed in me enough, saw, saw beyond the, uh, the, 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 the rough edges and the, and the diamond in the rough, and didn't have many of them, probably three, four, that was all. And remarkably, I've just written a, a piece on fishing nets um, as, a, as an analogy of how we form and create relationships, um, which I've uh, just posted. And one of my old teachers is now probably in her 80s and 90s in living in Canada, picked this up, and she goes, wow, so that was, that was great. That was great. But, um, yes, and and a love of learning. So I did go to college, I did get a degree. um, And and after I'd finished working on the boats, because I guess I had a choice. So I was actually invited to come buy into the business. And I I wanted to to do some other stuff. And and I'd love that process of mentoring so much. I thought I must be, therefore, going towards being a teacher. So, um, and (laughs) which was probably not a good thing. Um, so I eventually qualified as a teacher and ended up in the school and ended up uh, being introduced to the staff. And I couldn't believe my eyes. The person I was introduced to probably first was the same teacher uh, who said to me, you'll never amount to anything. And I just thought, isn't that, isn't that one of those serendipitous moments and I didn't say anything and I didn't want to make, you know, but I just smiled inwardly and I thought, yeah, actually, you know, done okay. Um, teaching I loved, the profession, for me, by this time, I was an entrepreneur. I was running my own business outside of teaching and <coughs> doing all kinds of things. So the actual profession of teaching, I found uh, claustrophobic. But but one of the things, uh, 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 but I love working with the kids. Uh, and I guess the feral bit came in. I was actually seconded to uh, a particular school, which um, was where all of the kids who'd been kicked out of every school in the town, who were absolutely no hopers, used to come into the classroom with cigarettes. Um, and, we, you know, if they turned up at all, and I mean, that was... And, and, and I was assigned, because they thought this would be good for me, I was assigned to teach some science. So how do you teach science to a whole bunch of kids who didn't want to learn, who were basically, um, you know, come from some really interesting backgrounds, saw absolutely no relevance being there, legally had to be, but they kind of put in the minimal effort. And, And the feral bit in me thought, well, how can I make this curious for them? How can I make this an experience they will remember? Um, because, you know, I put aside this kind of curriculum that I was supposed to, to teach. So I, I worked on the basis of if it exploded, if it made funny smells, if it hurt, then it was, then it was a, a good lesson. So, um, so we used to, I used to have a, a Van de Graaff generator um, that I used to wind up at, at the beginning of class. And so it was fully charged and just waiting for people to touch it and get absolutely shocked. And I used to put a big sign on the front of it saying, do not touch. I just used to watch the kids come into the class and touch the thing, go bang, and suddenly figure out that, you know, if we all held hands, whoever dropped their hands would get the electric shock. We played those kind of games. We, we made explosions and 
and they absolutely loved it. Now, I'm sure now that some of those kids have gone on and are, are very uh, efficient uh, safe blowers and all the rest. <laughs> but, you know, but we, you know, who knows? Or maybe they've become prime ministers. I mean, absolutely. Don't we need some good one of those? Um, uh, anyway, another subject. <laughs> but, but but yeah, absolutely. But in any way, in high office, we do need people with with uh, with uh, an extraordinary uh, level of skill and capability. And uh, uh, anyway, that is another subject. So they love they love the, the science, and I guess. Uh, and so eventually, I, I was uh, headhunted on the basis of some other business to uh, digital and uh, I started to work in the business um, uh, function across the world, which, which I loved. I love, I've got to say the, the American can do attitude. Ah, I thought as a, as a Brit, I would just be like a sore, uh, you know, a sore thumb standing out. And, and I've got to say for me, it was just, it was such an experience working with people that said, don't know how to do that. Let's figure it out. Uh, culturally, I think I'm much more, uh, my, my happiest, Work times have been actually working in 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 the states, and I've worked uh, across many many different parts. I haven't seen much because you just fly in and, and the rest. But right, great great people. But then a few years ago, coming back to your story, uh, Mac, um, you wanted me to tell after this little diversion. I've always had a soft spot for those in teaching. I knew that I wasn't a great teacher, um, and that's not me being humble. It's just you know I, I know what I do well. <coughs> I was an adequate teacher. And I guess looking back, I, I just wish I knew then what I know now. One of them was um, a story that uh, somebody, a, a former pupil told me just some years ago. He said, do you remember me? Uh, I was in your science class. And the truth is, I kind of did. And I said, yeah, Paul, I, I remember you. And he said, do you remember that there was a particular moment which has changed my life and changed my view of things? And I said, you know, I was wanting to hope it was something to do with science, which it wasn't. He said, I came to you one day and, uh, and I, had, I, had, I was had to hand in some homework and I'd missed the homework. And to be honest, my, my science book was a complete mess. It was falling apart. It was scribbles. It was just, he said, I was absolutely ashamed of it. And, you know, the, the, the kind of dog had eaten at home. And I was, I was really, really, I was scared when I had to come to you and, and present this homework, which I hadn't done. And he said, what was, what was really remarkable was your reaction. He said, because you didn't, you, you, didn't, um, you didn't haul me over the coals. You didn't tell me off. He said, you just said, not a problem, Paul. I'll give you a new book. And he said, and you gave me a pristine new science book for me to start again. And he said, no one's ever done that before. And he said, That's, that lesson has stayed with me my whole life. And it says, actually, we can reboot. We can, we can start again. And he said, that simple thing that you did, he said, do you remember it? And in our conversation that you and I were having, I, I, I said to you um, something which, which still shocks me, which is I've got no recollection of that whatsoever. Right. That, that simple act, I can't remember. And yet it made such an important impact on, on this person's life. And, and, you know, I'd love to say that all of my life uh, as a teacher was, was spent doing those wonderful things. And then I, but the, re the reality is I often wonder how many times did I miss it? Actually, I didn't react in, in a particular way. Um, and actually, people would remember me in, in, in a very, very different way to the way that Paul did. And it just got me thinking that just teaching is just such a, an important vocation. And, you know, I, I said to a teacher friend of mine, if I, ever I was involved in teacher training, I, I would just try and get across the, the magnitude, the, the privilege is to be able to walk with people and touch people's lives. And as a teacher, I had no idea just how important and how significant all that was, both for good and, and, and for not so good. And if I could get that one lesson across to teachers, I learned that years, years afterwards. That's not to say I would uh, be a great teacher now. You know, listen, you know, I, I know some great teachers and, you know, bless them and, you know, let them shine. And I'm, I'm an okay teacher in a classroom. Um, not great. I do other things which, which I do shine at. But that would be the lesson for me. So teaching in, as, as, a, as a profession 
is is underrated. And, and you think about it, we're touching the we're touching the generation ahead. We we we're just literally in the UK into lockdown, so our kids are no longer going to school. This is the second time uh, in, in a relatively short time, and we're suddenly realising that um, children are actually missing out on 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 the foundation stones of their lives and panicking about you know what to do i do work at a business university and they're already talking about a, a lost generation of of graduates and postgraduates um, who are not able to find work who are ending up doing you know master degrees phds and, and ending up flip, flipping burgers um not that flipping burgers is is you know uh, the, the the worst thing that can happen to anyone but it's, it's like all of this input and investment it's not being realized so people are beginning to understand i think the the importance of education anyway so that was that was the story i hope i've weaved together a, a few of your themes well, um you did and one of the things that i practice and 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 have learned i guess is that people love to be challenged so I, I intentionally give vague, chaotic directions to people. And some people go, well, how many do you want? Or, you know, should I do three? And it's like, no, 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 no. And what I've discovered is 99% of the time to just try to put a value on it, they're like, oh, this is, huh. So I can go anywhere I want with this is what you're saying. It's like that. You got it. Several things you said. And then I have a couple of questions for you. One is about your dyslexia. Yeah, um, I have a stutter, mm. and I didn't realize until I wrote an article about it. Eventually, is that having a stutter turned out to be advantageous? Yeah. Once yeah. I reframed it and I approached it with curiosity instead of resentment, yeah. because my stuttering gave <coughs> vocabulary young, because mm. you need a lot of synonyms if you stutter, so you can plug in a word and nobody knows that you stuttered. Mm. So that. And I, I learned that you can't stutter when you sing. Yeah. Nobody knows why. Yeah. So I took a lot of voice training, which is a useful thing in my work. And I made a living as a singer, which was almost like sailing in, in its <laughs> same sense of like, I can go where I want to go here. Um, so back to what you said from the beginning, which is, which is still kind of rustling around in my, in my, in my jungle mind right now. Um, I think curiosity protects us from a whole bunch of things. Yeah. I think curiosity protects us from resentment. Mm -hmm. I think curiosity protects us from the, the, the blinders of, of a certainty. Mm. You know, you wrote back, um, I was reading, um, someone had posted an article about the, the, the single thing you need for leadership is mm. empathy, I think. And you kind of wrote back and said, well, th that is a thing. Yeah, yeah. But sort of saying, saying that here's the single key yeah. is, is, is always, <laughs> it's just dangerous thinking, right? Um, so you're, you know, when you're talking also about rating yourself as a teacher, I, you know, when you're talking about your science classes, I had a science teacher just like that, Mr. Satterthwaite. Yeah. And I looked forward to that class. I couldn't wait to get in the class because you never knew what the hell was going to happen. Yeah. But you knew that something was going to happen, yeah. not just a chalkboard, but he had a surprise about combustion yeah. or friction yeah. or yeah. electricity, you know, like your Van generator. So you walked into the room like, <laughs> all right, what's going to, you know, and you never knew. And boy, that I think, from a, 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 a teaching and learning perspective, it is important what we teach, mm -hmm. what the, what the content is. But I think that that is secondary to the, the atmosphere we create, which is only generated by our own love of curiosity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All my all my best teachers. Now that I have that frame, and thank you for that. When I think back about them, each one of them. The class was about exploration. Mm -hmm. It was not about ABC and one, two, three. It was about, think about this. What if, because I'm an English maker, what if Hamlet had been born a woman? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that story with Hamlet as a woman. Yeah. It was like, what? 
wow, you know? So I, all my best teachers always did that. It was about challenge and exploration. And when you're talking about change, I think if we approach change, and now we don't have a choice, if we approach it with that sense of discovery, I don't know that we have to lose generation. For instance, face-to-face is great, but while we talk, I get to look at every one of your facial expressions. In fact, I have no choice. Whereas if we were in a classroom and I were staring at you while you were talking, you would feel self-conscious or like, you know, what's your problem, mate? (laughs) Right? But so I I get actually, I don't know if it's more information, but qualitatively and quantitatively, it is richer in a sense because I get to see everything. And while you were talking, I could see you going from the memory to the excitement, to the emotion, to the moment, to back here. And, and that's a gift, which I wouldn't have had if it wasn't maybe for the pandemic forcing us to communicate this way. Yeah. Do you have children? Yes. I've got three, three daughters, uh, two grandchildren. Um, uh, four and uh, three and a half. Good. Uh, boy, aren't grandchildren great? Oh, uh, the, uh, for me, to be honest, if, if my life was just uh, uh, just telling stories to my grandchildren and having adventures, I would be I would be happy. In fact, my, my, my grandson rings up. Uh, he, we 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 make uh, we make stories up together, right. <coughs> and um, he just loves the story. So every every morning he rings up uh, when he's around. And uh, says, "Can we have a story? And can we have it this time?" Today's story was about uh, turtle and uh, treasure islands and pirates. So, so we had this great, great adventure. And, uh, <laughs> and my little, my, my little granddaughter, who's probably more uh, gifted in the imagination, but actually, I start the story and then she just takes it over, and we go on this flight of fancy. Ah, brilliant! Love it. And we're just all children. Yeah, yeah. We, we really are. Um, yeah. It doesn't take much. That's a, that's the beauty for me of grandchildren, is that I, I'm I'm right there. Yeah, I'm right there with them. And, and so, one of the myths, which I don't know whether it's the same in America, but uh, people used to say to us, um, uh, "Oh, the great thing about grandchildren is that you can give them back at the end of the day." And the truth is, I don't want to give them back. I have, no. we just have so much fun, uh, yeah. you know, cooking outside and ah, just all kinds of nonsense. Yeah, I'd, I'd be I'd be more than happy to um, you know have them kind of living with us at least for a week. <laughs> and I would bet, and this is something that I that I learned accidentally, which is all my greatest lessons, um, is that is that you don't talk to them like they're little kids. You just mm-hmm. talk to them like they're humans. Absolutely. Because something that all my grandchildren, all of whom are grown now, each one of them has said to me at uh, at one point. Yeah. You know, what I've always loved about you is that you never talked, even when we were little, you never talked down to us. Yeah. So like, so like, I didn't say, well, how was your day today? You know, I didn't do any of that crap. I was like, hey, man, how are you doing? Yeah. So, you know, we were like this. So actually, you've already answered my second to last question. So I have a final question for you. Um, years from now, when 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 you've moved somewhere else either as a metaphor or as a reality so that you don't see your grandchildren as much and your grandchildren say to their parents who are your children of course our teachers the other day said that 2020 was a really rough year you know we were talking about tough times and we remember a little bit of it because we were really little but how did grandpa handle himself in 2020? And that's you, of course. What would you like them to say about how you did in 2020? Yeah, so it's a really pertinent question. I mean, it's, it's one that we're asking now, because as, as we approach uh, our second lockdown, the, the prospect is I'm not going to see my grandkids for, th- for right. three months. Um, so it's very, very real. Um, I would like to to think that we they would say, although we weren't round at Granny Granddad's house, we had so much fun with the stories on you know on FaceTime or Zoom or whatever Teams or whatever platform we, we, we use. 
Um, we love those stories. Um, do you remember the times when Granny and Granddad, you know, made that story up about turtles and pirates? And, uh, and so, so I hope that they'll, they'll remember that. I hope that they will know that we, we, we still love them so much. Um, can't hug them at the moment. Um, which they find strange. So we're, we're trying to figure out, figure how we handle that in, in little brains that can't make sense of this, this nasty bug. In fact, we've, we've stopped calling it the nasty bug because it was scaring the living daylights out of these kids. Um, and so we just, you know, we just get on with stuff. Um, fortunately, we are childminders. So we're, we're to our children. So we've, we've got that kind of, so we, we, we are kind of uh, looking after them once a week, if all of the temperatures and you know all of the measurements are all right, which is which which is great, which is where we we, we pack in stuff. Um, I, I hope that they will uh, will say actually we we got through as a family okay. Um, you know we, we it was strange we couldn't work stuff out, but actually you know. Granny and Granddad were, were still there for us and we're still talking, we still laughed and we still made things together, um, virtually, mostly. Um, so those, those are the things which, which I hope. I, I, I guess what we did see um, after the first lockdown <coughs> is when we were reconnecting, so physically actually meeting for, for the first times, they were hanging back. They, they didn't know whether to cut their, their instincts would just come and hug us and kiss us and you know, do all the things that you do. And when we first met my, my little grandson, Caleb just hid behind his mother because he didn't know whether it was permissible to, to come to us. And, you know, and, and, I, and, I, and that was, that was heartrending for, for all of us seeing that. And, you know, the, and bless them. They're trying to make sense of a world, which is just absolutely crazy at the minute. So, Part of what we want to do in the second lockdown, and we're not quite sure how we're going to do it yet, but we're talking about it as a family, is how we avoid that that kind of that that moment. Can I can I go forward? Can I enter the house? Can I hug? Um, so it feels a much easier transition back in. Um, I haven't got the answers for that. We're just aware that that happened last time, and we're we're mindful that we. We, we want to look after our, our, our little ones and also our children's mental health. It's, it's tough for them. Um, you know, most of, most of our family are fairly, uh, fairly socially distanced and isolated, but I've got one, uh, one daughter who's at the front end of kind of veterinary work. Um, and they're literally, as of today, having this massive row with the, with the company that they, uh, they employ them. Because uh, in the first lockdown, all of the handovers for, for, for the animals were done outside in the car park. The company are now insisting that they happen inside. The consequence is, you know, obviously greater risk. The consequence is that actually it reduces um, the, the safety of, of uh, the, the safe bubbles that we have. We, we've got these kind of safe bubbles as, as families that yeah. we, we, can, we can still meet in. So... Yeah, so it's, it, it, these are new times, and we're, we're just we're talking together, we're being open together, we're crying together, um, we're, we're encouraging it. We're, I guess keep tracking each other because you know each one of us, you know, will we'll have periods when, when we do feel down, and and you know the, the, this this situation is uh, um, taking over. But um, you know, but we're the government, bless them, have, have done I think a, a, a good job um, in locking down the country. They had to do it. Our hopes are in the vaccine. Our hopes that that's going to knock stuff on the head just enough. We're aware that there's mutations going on, but just give us some breathing space. So I guess we're mindful of all those things, and we just. But in all of that, I guess we're trying to be normal um, and not freak everyone out. I can, I can, and I will always see you standing on on the bridge next to the captain and after you said, do you have a job for me, mate? And it kind of made you <laughs> learn the ropes, literally. Um, and, and this question to you, what do you see? Yeah. Right. And, and I, what you just said about your, about your family is I, I still see you guided by, and, and in a sense, guarded by your curiosity. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. What can we do? Not oh, isn't this horrible? Yeah, right. and I guess it's for me. It's, it's also there's more stuff that is emerging. I mean, this is a great conversation, and you know, I know this is slightly one way, and, and you know, I've got so many questions I want to ask you, Mac. But you know, hopefully that that will continue. So what it's done is actually increased the number of people that I'm curious about across the world. Um, you know, I had an amazing conversation with a. An extraordinary woman called Jasmine, who is lives in the slums of uh, of um, the Philippines, and she's got no money. She was actually brought up in the jungle. Um, she's in her township. Um, COVID's all around, um, and she's providing. Well, she actually put a birthday, uh, sorry, Christmas party on for six hundred families, um, um, and it was privileged to be part of. We had bikers groups from the UK kind of donating stuff and. Her story is amazing, and she's putting herself through college. Um, she's in her mid-30s. She's got three children, single single mum, uh, putting herself through college, wants to become a teacher. Um, her her next eldest, she's going through high school, but high school um, out there can only be done with grants. So you can only maintain the grant if your scores are above 85%. Right. What that means as a family is that the only laptop that they've got, which is you know pretty pretty basic, is used by the by her by a daughter to maintain her grades. So Jasmine is doing her, her thesis and her last year's preparation all on a mobile phone. She's writing a thesis. Um, she gets up at three o'clock in the morning, cooks, cleans. She has several jobs. She goes out. She feeds people. Um, and I made, and what a privilege to actually go into her into her home and and just be be part of her life. So it gives us a great opportunity to to meet extraordinary, much more extraordinary people than me. I mean, you, you should be talking to Jasmine. I mean, they're 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 wonderful. But also, I mean, just little things. I, I was saying, I started off by saying all things kind of come to almost like a, a, a point where they make sense, all the past experiences. And I used to work a, as a, a tournament, so I, again, I started as a crew. And and the one thing that you, you learn when you start to trawl is you've got to be good at making and mending nets, and particularly mending nets, which are the, that's the really tough stuff, because you don't want, as a skipper, somebody on deck who can't mend a net because you can, your nets are going to get ripped. So I learned um, over a six-month period how to make fishing nets and to mend fishing nets. And what's really interesting today, and I've just literally written a paper and, and, and doing some um, podcasts around fishing nets, because in, the, in this moment now where much of our work is moving to algorithms, in fact, one of the business schools is, is saying uh, leadership in the future will simply be an algorithm. Um, okay. Yeah, all kinds of questions. Anyway, leave that aside. And, and people, you know, we talk about um, networking and, you know, LinkedIn, which is how, how we, we met. You know, bless LinkedIn. Because it's, it's literally pulling people together. I love, and I love that technology. But sometimes it lacks that tactile sense. And so a lot of people have actually been saying to me, could you do a, a post which is actually you showing us how you make a fishing net? Because actually there are lessons in, in, you know, a fishing net is basically composed of individual uh, meshes all together. Each mesh is, is, is a continual thread of, 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 of twine or cordage. And each knot is such a simple knot that it doesn't, um, it doesn't um, reduce the strength. So the, the analogy is you've got people, if, if you are willing to be intertwined and connected, in, in community. So that's that shift from, you know, I talk from, you know, we can cooperate with people. Sure, we need to do that. We can collaborate with, with people. And, you know, that's a wonderful thing. But can we can we work in such a way which is concordant? Right? So we work with one heart, one mind. And that's a completely different relationship. And and so people are saying, show show us how you do that with with fishing nets. So so I'm, I'm literally you know making some videos now, how to how to make nets, which is a simple bit, but how to mend nets because that's a really difficult thing. It's because mending nets means you've got to you've got to think through ahead of time where you're going to go, so everything is sequential, so that you're maintaining that that in, integral and uh, uninterrupted thread. So to mend nets, you've actually got to learn how to cut nets. So cutting nets is the, is the important skill. The actual knitting them is the easy bit. 
we've got to be sequential in, in, in which things to actually cut away. And, you know, the analogy, I guess, in, in life that I'm thinking through now is, is, you know, there'll be times when we need to actually um, cut stuff away, you know, the old habits, the, the old ways, the stuff we need to retain. But we've got to be smart enough to understand and distinguish between those two things. So even in that simple analogy, which, you know, uh, quite a lot of people are getting quite excited about, you know, things from the past suddenly find a, uh, a resonance now. So I kind of use whatever's available, basically. Um, so, yeah, so, yeah, an interesting time. So, so for me in the future, it's, and to be honest, I've given up trying to define a strategy. You know, I run a business. We, 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 we go where the winds are going. Um, and I know that will horrify the strategists amongst uh, your, your, your listeners. Um, but actually, I've got the great privilege of being able to do that. I don't need to work or work because I love working. Um, so I'll go where the interest is. And if that takes me to the Philippines, hey, great. If that takes me to Africa again, hey, that's brilliant. If it means that I just, you know, um, stay in my little hut talking to people across the world, like yourselves, who I find absolutely fascinating, then that's a privilege too. So, yeah, interesting times. And all of that, I guess, has been amplified by COVID and, and also by, you know, obviously um, the uh, digital transformation, artificial intelligence and that whole kind of... Uh, tech space which is you know what people don't understand is actually changing our world underneath all of the covid uh, oh, yeah. and increasingly rapidly absolutely yeah yeah so our uh, curiosity binds us in a very nice way like the mesh mm-hmm. in the net so um we will talk again chris this is, this be is the beginning of something not the end of anything and I would ask you when you get a chance, uh, send me how to get in touch with your friend from the Philippines if that's not a, a protocol yep. trespass. No, absolutely. I'll, I'll probably put you in touch with uh, actually Nick Wright, who introduced us. Okay. Nick, Nick is her coach, and, um, and uh, she, she'd be great. Yeah, Nick would be, would be a privilege. Uh, he's, he's, he, uh, he's done a great work uh, staying alongside her and, and, and other people. But yeah, Jasmine's great story. He's on my list as well, my friend. Be well. Um, keep on keeping on, man. Yeah, and, and you. It's been yeah. a great privilege. So I've, got a, I've got a basket full of questions I want to ask you. We, we need to make this happen again soon. As I said, we are not done yet. Thanks for giving us a listen. As we move forward with this situation, with this thing that's us, let's never forget that we are all in this together. No matter what else happens, we're all in this together. Thank you.